Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. It's a welcome return for David Michaud to our latest episode of Soundtracking, in which the Australian director talks us through the music of his latest film, The King. The King is available on Netflix now and is loosely based on William Shakespeare's play relating to Henry V. In putting the movie together, David turned to a couple of friends of the show, co-writer and actor Joe Edgerton and composer Nicholas Bertel. Plenty more on both of those gentlemen shortly. First, a word from the good folk at Stitch Fix. Now, how do you fancy getting some help with your wardrobe? I know that I happily welcome some guidance. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of shopping. I always feel overwhelmed by the choice and those changing rooms make me feel utterly self-conscious. So I was very happy to hear about Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that can help you put outfits together from a hundred of the best brands including established names, cool emerging designers as well as exclusive brands that you won't find anywhere else. And this is not just for the ladies as the service is also brilliant for men too. It's really simple to use. You start by filling out a style quiz which asks you about things like aesthetic, budget, size, shape, clothing needs and wants. One of the stylists will then handpick you five items. They arrive at your door so you can try them on, buy what you like, send back what you don't at no cost. You pay £10 for your stylist, but this is deducted from anything that you buy. There's no subscription and you can order regular deliveries or a one-off for a special event. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash sound right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co dot U-K forward slash sound. And so to David, the King and Nicholas's score, which has a quite intentionally otherworldly sensibility. We'll hear why in a moment after we get a taster of what otherworldly sounds like with this cue, Tetrachord Rex. David, welcome back to Soundtracking, first of all. Thanks for having me. It's a joy to be back. Episode 43, back in June 2017. Yeah. Yeah, and here we are with The King. I was just saying I had the absolute pleasure of watching it on an enormous screen with a fantastic sound system in Leicester Square yesterday, and it was glorious. Absolutely glorious. Congratulations on the film. 
When we talked last time, one of the things that I loved hearing you talk about was about how music plays a part way before you've even shot the film, before you've even hired a composer. It's kind of part of your creation of the narrative, of the characters, of how you want it to look as well. Was that the case with The King as well? Yeah. Yeah. I start building those playlists. I mean, and, you know, very often I feel like I'm building playlists that will form the basis of, of in some way or other, the the soundtrack, you know. And, yeah. And this movie, uh, something extraordinary happened in working with, Nick, uh, with Nick Bertel, you know, and that just ev- all of those pieces of music that I thought were just so necessary mm-hmm. just started to slip away, you know. And as as more of Nick's music started f- finding its way into the movie, oh, wow. the more stuff, some of those necessary pieces uh, became temp and started to feel wrong. And and so there's not a single Nick's music is wall to wall in this thing now. What were some of the things, though, that you had originally seen as music or that were inspired in on that kind of playlist? What kind of thing helped you along the way up to that point of getting Nick? This movie being set in the Middle Ages, you know, I I wanted it to feel otherworldly. I certainly didn't want to fill it with medieval music. Uh, that would have hurt. That would have made it blackadder. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and you know, I also I wanted to musically embrace that idea that I was finding permeated my conversations with every department, which was how almost impossible it is to conceive what life might have been like back in the Middle Ages. You know, when mm-hmm. you think about how differently people spoke and moved, thought. Yeah. Even just 50, 70 years ago, you know, you multiply that by 600 years. And I wanted the movie to feel strange. So not ridiculously so, but just have a, 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 a some kind of undercurrent of, of of the unusual. And so all of my early temp music was all I used a lot of um, a lot of Celsi, classical instruments, but very often used very atonally and um, and and arrhythmically. Yeah. Difficult to pinpoint exactly when these pieces of music are from. Yeah. You know, they could be. They could be very old, or they could be they actually could be from some distant future. That, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I also knew that there was so much of, of this story that I I, knew, I found that I knew could be very moving, mm-hmm. and so I needed music to do that work as well. Yeah. I, I knew I wanted, on some level, for it to have a big, rich, and austere score. Yeah. And just find the places for it to have unusual instrumentation, so just unusual sounds.
I love how it kind of um, even the volume of the music plays an important part. I think up until a point, the music's it's there, but it's very much in the background and almost kind of almost like at the coronation is almost kind of I feel where you kind of where it's it shifts in a way in、mm. terms of it's playing a different part. I mean, I don't know what the put if that's right or if that's just me reading、no. too much into it or if there's if there's a purpose to that for you. There was we I could we could feel it when we were just especially when we were mixing the film. You know, it was it was never I don't think the music was composed to be mixed that way, but we it felt like the right thing to do、yeah. when we were mixing was to let it sit quietly behind the movie. Yeah. To begin with, and then you're right at a certain point around the coronation. You know, when this kid's life turns upside down, it starts to sit on top, and then as you get down towards the back end, it actually almost starts to sit right up front. <laughs> yeah. It's really powerful. It's really, it's like, but it's crazy how almost just the volume can do that. Yeah. It's, but it does. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's what makes being in a final mix such a. I actually find it. I mean, it's, it's both. It's so pleasurable because in almost every respect the movie is done, and now, and it's, I'm listening to it in its most magnificent form.、Mm. But it's nerve-wracking as well because one little shift of a fader can. Can radically alter the way a scene feels. You、yeah. know, just where where the music is sitting in relation to dialogue, or you know how much of it you have, how you know if it's scary,、mm. you know, because you have that that one little shift on a fader,、yeah. and it's and it's um and then it's done. It's、yeah. there forever. What were the conversations you had with Nicholas about how you wanted him to work alongside this film, and what what you were looking for? It was kind of tricky, actually. I think. I don't think Nicholas would mind me saying this, but you know, it was, it was actually it start the process started out quite tricky. I don't think either of us had worked、uh, so remotely before. You know,、mm-hmm. I was in Sydney and he was in New York, and、yeah. I have I like to get involved, and I knew at some point I'd probably make a trip to New York or he would come out to Sydney. But you know, we start the process. He, he, he you know, he, for one reason or another, he started quite late. I mean, it was I ha- I've never, never had music come in so late, and you know, we were still trying to feel it out. And this, you know, maybe it's been probably entirely my fault, but you know, my inability to properly articulate what it was that I wanted. But that, what I now realised was something that was actually quite rich and full. I think maybe I pushed the strangeness card <laughs> too hard early on, you know,、mm-hmm. and. And Nick and I talked about the idea of this score. The music could sound like it might have been from the 25th century, you、mm-hmm. know. And I think we pushed some of that too hard early on.、Um, it sounded a little too sci-fi, a little too incongruous. Yeah. And so, it, you know, it was quite a bit of muddling around us, kind of, you know, remotely. It's just, it's so hard to do. You know, phone calls and emails, and it's not the way music works. Yeah. It wasn't until I got on a plane and came over to New York quite late in the post process, and and sat down with him for about a I don't know about eight or nine days, and that su- suddenly you know even the first few couple of days of that were us still trying to、mm-hmm. work out what、wow. language we were speaking. That must be scary. It is because you know it's like music is everything.、Mm-hmm. I think. Many, many, many a, a, a potentially otherwise great movie has been ruined by bad music, and many a mediocre movie has been greatly elevated <laughs>、yeah. by amazing music. And yeah, it's it's scary. 
And as we were there, you know, nutting it out, trying to work out how to find it, and then something happened on day three. And it was what, you know, what emerged from that, you know, morning where we were just really wrestling over one particular cue was um, was Hal's theme, you know, the, the most important piece of music in the... There are a number of themes that run through it, but Hal's one, the yeah. big one at the, that ends the movie, you know, and that appears in various... Uh, incarnations throughout. out of that wrestle and something happened something clicked into a gear and from that point on without exception we were speaking the same language and never wrestled over another thing from that point on yeah and we both started wagging our tails like excited little kids and and so um, so much music was composed in that week i mean the whole, entire movie pretty much wow. came out of this one week i mean this is a testament to nick's skill you know he's like this, these are complex pieces of music, big, rich, layered, so many stems. He's so gifted, you know, so so trained, so talented, and so enthusiastic, you know. That, I mean, he says he's never he's never produced that much music in that short a time before. But yeah. it was uh, it's kind of exhilarating. I remember getting back on the plane back to Sydney after it and uh, dizzy, you know. I mean, we, wow. we almost didn't have an opportunity to listen back to a lot of the stuff we'd <laughs> wow. done, but, but we knew that it was beautiful. Yeah. Mm. It's a really different score f- for him than what I've heard him do before. And I mean that in a really positive way. And, and I like that hearing that story because it feels like, you, you know, kind of pushing each other is kind of has created this absolutely glorious thing that yeah. I, I haven't really heard him do yet. 
And there's some of the cues that I kind of noted down as well was the uh, when there there's one for me that really when the, they're crossing the channel, mm -hmm. and oh my, I love such a beautiful melody in in that kind of piece and how the how the music accompanies that journey as well. It's just it's, it's yeah. stunning. Yeah. Yeah, that was another one of the themes. That was the one that I think that I think if it's the one, you know, there's the beach landing, yeah. which has got this huge kind of almost uh, like a Gira Wrath of God sort of <laughs> yeah. choir thing going on. that there's yeah. yeah that theme that we were calling Falstaff's theme you know yeah and I think a lot of what you know it's in some ways some of the things that we did with with the early sketches with Nick's early sketches actually just simplify them they were almost the early ones were almost too complex and sometimes that complexity I find and maybe this is just you know my 
musically naive brain, but the complexity can sometimes stand in the way of basic feeling. Yeah. You know? Like the simplicity of that, I don't know if it's a cello, it sounds like a cello to me with the, the brother and sister, just little conversation mm -hmm. across the lawn. It's a really simplistic piece of music, but it, yeah. it lets you into their intimacy and relationship. And yeah, it, yeah. But still accompanies it as well. Mm-hmm. You have those two sort of sides of it, of that, and then the coronation, which is just gets bigger and louder and more regal. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and you have that, you know, that feeling that you get when you, because like you say, it's scary. Mm. You know, you, yeah. you, you spent all this time, all these years writing and prepping, and yeah. the money and the pain of the shoot and months of post production, and that last layer is, you know, I, I've said it before, but it's everything. If that layer sucks, or if not even sucks, if that layer is disappointing to me in some way, then yeah. it's like I almost feel like I want to throw the whole thing out. Yeah. That's how important music is to me. Yeah. I've been kind of thinking since I saw the film as well, like, oh, there's been a lot of how did you do that? The battle scenes in particular, you're kind of, you know, you're in there and, I mean, these are characters, you know, real characters that existed, but how you've written them is just brilliant. And if you don't mind, I'd really like to talk a little bit about you and Joe working together oh, yeah. and, and how you write together and 
um, if he wrote his part or if he wrote his part or if you wrote it together. Because, oh, my God, we all want a mate like that. He's yeah. just, <laughs> he's he's a joy to watch in that role. It's great. And, yeah, and it was fun to it was fun for us to write it for him because, uh, you know, Joel's I mean, I've known him for a long time. <laughs> yeah. We live practically next door to each other in Sydney and um, we spend a lot of time together and he's fun <laughs> but you don't really get to he doesn't get to be fun in movies very often <laughs> yeah. um great accent and i mean everything about it is just yeah he's good at it's that it's really good mm. and he's just a joy to work with you know he's um he's a good man and because he's also a director now he knows what i'm going through <laughs> which which is helpful which is, i imagine and in a strange circular way i think it's it's good f it's good for him to you know it's like Suffering is a form of self-obsession very often, you know, and it's uh, for him to be looking out for me and see, checking with me, see if mm. I'm okay as a director. It actually, I think, makes him feel happier, less self-obsessed, you know. <laughs> Not that he is a naturally self-obsessed <laughs> person, but, you know, it's like yeah, when, yeah. especially when you're an actor, you know, it can be – it's what they do is so mysterious and it can lend itself to mm. uh, sometimes a kind of toxic introspection. Mm -hmm. It's healthy in life just to think about other people <laughs> yeah how did you um why did you want to tell this story uh well i didn't appeal to joel <laughs> <laughs> powers of persuasion yeah i mean it didn't take much i mean there's you know there's when he came to me one day and said do you want to how do you feel about he'd had a an extraordinary experience fresh out of drama school playing Hal on stage in Sydney, in a much acclaimed performance, I didn't know him then, but, mm. you know, people were talking about it. I think it was a profoundly seminal creative early career experience for him. And when he came to me, uh, you know, my first thought was no, but I think that's because my first thought about anything is no, you know. <laughs> so if it's going to involve me having to leave the house, then I'm not interested, you know. Um, but then I, as seemingly like clockwork, I, you know, then actually what starts to appeal to me is the, the strangeness of the proposition, mm -hmm. you know, that, that it isn't the kind of movie I would have pictured for myself. And so I, I like being set parameters and mm -hmm. how would I work within those parameters? And, you know, when I, when I thought about Henry V, I thought about, a, a, you know, a kind of middle-aged man who, uh, invades France and, you know wins the war and then start reading you know start doing deep dive research yeah. and start you know the first thing you discover is that well he was actually in his early 20s when he became king and and that's extraordinary you know the just the, the burden of responsibility and in our drift away from shakespeare which began very early on we started to reconceive the story as one about you know a young a young i well-intentioned possibly naive man you know becoming king taking this high office and then being consumed by the machine of power mm. around him to the extent that you, you know it's, you can take that that idealist that noble well-intentioned man and start pushing him into tyranny mm. which is one of the things that excited me about casting timmy chalamet and you know is that there is something so beautifully open and soulful and available about him and i just loved the idea of seeing what his kind of tyranny might look like. Yeah. You know. Do you feel a sense of achievement? In what regard? In any regard. Do you? 
A new chapter of my life has begun. Already I can feel the weight of this crown I wear. I've been forced to rely upon the counsel of men whose loyalty I question every waking moment. I need men around me I can trust. I'm here because you are my friend. King has enough friends. King has only followers and foe. But I will come with you. It's a beautiful performance. Did Timothy reach out to Joe for, you know, because he had that history with the character and playing him? And I, I imagine maybe a similar age to Timothy. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, what do yeah. you mean? Is that, do you know if that's something they sort of talked about at all in terms of... I actually don't know whether or not uh, Timmy sought Joel out for Hal conversation. Yeah. I think Timmy just sought Joel out so they could hang out, you know, <laughs> yeah. as their characters do. Yeah. You know, Joel was finishing um he was cutting boy raised in new york and timmy lives in new york and they just hung out got drunk together and yeah yeah it's which is important all of that stuff it sounds kind of anything you can do that just lubricates the social experience yeah. is, is useful how did you <laughs> lubricate the experience <laughs> of going in to film that battle then because i have no idea how you prepare for something like that or you mm. actually are able to achieve that it's it's amazing with all the mud and yeah you know and I'm, and I'm thinking in my head god those are that armor's really shiny and then obviously it's getting dirty that's like one you know how many takes are they gonna you know yeah. someone's got to polish all that stuff back up and that's it's a the fire weird, hose it's the weird <laughs> i mean it really is <laughs> really? yeah stand over there and let me fire hose you. at the end of every day it would just be just they'd line up and just and stand in the fire hose and, oh my god and they loved it because it was like uh you know 35 degrees every where did day. you shoot it and a, a town called silvashvarad which is three hours out of budapest in Hungary. wow mm. wow was that hot bloody hell yeah it was kind of horrible it was horrible. <laughs> and you have to, you know, yeah, we prepped the hell out of it for months in advance and knew we needed to. We didn't have the luxury of just like figuring it out as we went along. We didn't, we'd shot the whole, th that whole battle in two weeks and, um, and we needed to prepare. But then with all that mud and all that stuff and all those, just the chaos of it, you know, the, the plans always fall apart almost immediately. But at least they're there. At least you know what to return to you yeah. know, when you're confused, which yeah. was all the time. Mm. <laughs> you can't, none of, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's amazing when you, you know, we watch these finished creations on this big screen and it's just, I, I'm just fascinated to, to, to get a sense of the chaos behind the camera that goes into making this beautiful kind of perfect thing that we all get to sit back and just allow us, you know, entertain us. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> it's the uh, biggest it was, sigh in the world. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I, sometimes I feel, um, you know, am I just bunging this on? Is it just shtick? Or it was, no, but I know, I remember it vividly. It was, you know, there are certain things that, you know, I'm incredibly lucky to have this job and, and I'm, I'm so lucky that I, I, you know, I get up in the morning and for the most part, it feels like a kind of play. That there are certain parts of it that are just hard, you know, like yeah. really, really. It's not good for the health, you know. It's uh, you worry. You've got all this money and all this prep, and you're and it's dangerous, you know. And you've got people wearing all that stuff and sliding around the mud, swinging swords at each other and everything. It's it's you know it's dangerous and it was so stressful. I remember driving away from that location when we finally finished, just mm. uh, with this extraordinary, almost ecstatic sense of relief, you know, that it was it was over. And I, and I, you know, I hoped that we'd gotten what we needed, but another part of me was just like, I don't care, I'll figure it out later, I just want to get out of here. <laughs> just get me out here. Don't want to see another piece of armour, like, for the next 10 years. Were there any other films or soundtracks that were in, as part of an inspiration for you going into this? Strangely, no. It might have been, um, uh, I mean, I'm sure I probably would have said this to you last time we spoke, but you know, it's I, 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 I very rarely, if ever, use scores from other movies when I'm temping. Maybe I should start. I don't know because it this one was really difficult to temp. Well, there's so many cliches that you could have around it. It's the danger, isn't it, of something when it's kind of period, and then the other way as well. In terms of you can go so far the other way that it it's finding that middle ground that does what yeah. you were saying about the kind of slightly crazy stuff but still has a, a point of not easy to find and usually i find usually i find it you know or we i find it with my editor pete shibberis you know we, we we find it yeah this one was really the temp never found its shape you know we were throwing around all sorts of you know, like a lot of John Luther Adams in there, or you know, but then also the, that beautiful, delicate sort of dreamy stuff. But then throwing in some kind of Penderecki bombast, and, and it just it always just sort of felt confused. And yeah, it never found its shape in the temp. You know, when Nick Bratel watched the movie, it was with no score. There was no version of it that felt like an accurate representation of what I wanted him to do. Which is and which you know made scoring the movie scary because it's like we it, there was no clear template we were working from. Yeah, you know. worth waiting for though. Yeah, totally.
what's next? Do you know? No. <laughs> no, I don't. I actually really, I quite like the feeling. Every movie thus far has felt like something that I've been working on for a mm -hmm. long time, you know, even yeah. though they don't necessarily happen in, uh, in order. Mm -hmm. They are things that have been brewing. Um, and that also means that they think, feel on some level like things from my past. You know, yeah. It's like so. I quite like the feeling of knowing that whatever I do next will be very much of me today, whatever <laughs> that is. <laughs> I love the fact that last time we spoke for War Machine, obviously Nick and Warren did the score for you for that, and today we have a new Nick Cave record that's been released, which is a nice full circle. I know. It's I like, like that. Warren came to the screening to the premiere last night. I've been texting him all day. He's because he's I, he's I you know I love those guys. Yeah. And th they were busy making the record when I was looking for someone to do the score, mm. you know. And that's, I actually, and it, there is, it's the beautiful thing about this job. I get to, you know, I, I, fi I got to work with Nick Brattel. I'm really happy about that. You, you find, form different relationships yeah. with different people. But I, you know. What did he say after the film well, last night? I, I know that he loves it. I, don't, I think he would tell me if he didn't. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he was on the train back to Brighton last night and like he said that he, uh, you know, they kind of live streamed Ghostine on the, uh, on YouTube or something mm -hmm. last night, and he said he was in a pizza shop when it started. You know, <laughs> I, it's I think it was a very strange night for Warren last night. Congratulations on this film again, David. It's really lovely to, ch to chat with you and catch up again. And um, yeah, it's it's epic and it's beautiful. And I'm I'm going to go and see it again. Actually, I can't wait to see it again. But thanks for your time. Thanks Thank for having you. me back. Eddie. Thank you. Thank you. I am beside you. I am beside you I am beside you I am beside you Look for me Look for me From Nick Cave's new album, Ghostine, that's Ghostine Speaks, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the brilliant David Michaud. My huge thanks to David for taking the time to talk to us second time round. The King is available to stream on Netflix now with Nicholas's score available via our very good friends at Lakeshore Records. Now we'll put a Spotify playlist up for the show via edithbowman.com which is also the place to subscribe to this podcast and catch up with all of our previous episodes including David's last outing and my chats with Joel Edgerton and Nicholas Brattel. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do check out our YouTube channel if you haven't already. Next up, very excited to welcome Anton Corbin to the podcast. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.